Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, February 1st, and uh, it's not Sunday, January 29th, but we had a recording snafu a couple days ago, and so we are re-recording this week's message uh, for you. So if you're checking us out online today, thanks for checking us out uh, at gfcc.net or on our Vimeo page on Facebook, wherever you uh, record, check us out in our recordings. So uh, uh, today I want to just talk a little bit about disappointment in God. You know, I hate to disappoint people. I hate to be a disappointment to people. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I think about the definition of disappoint, uh, and the, the definition of disappoint means to fail to fill the expectations or wishes of. To fail to fulfill, to fulfill the expectations or wishes of. And I have a confession to make that sometimes I feel disappointed in God. And I feel wrong having disappointment in God because I think that uh, disappointment comes when, when we expect something to happen and it doesn't happen. Uh, and like I said, the definition says that uh, when, we, uh, when someone fails to meet our expectations or wishes, that we are disappointed in them. And I think about how can I be disappointed in God because God never fails. God never fails. And yet sometimes I feel disappointment. When something doesn't go my way, when something uh, doesn't happen the way I think it should, when uh, a prayer doesn't get answered the way I want it to be answered, when uh, something happens in my life that I, I, someone I love passes away or someone I love is sick, um, and, and things just don't happen the way I think they should, I feel this disappointment in God. And I feel so wrong for having that disappointment. And I wonder, what's wrong with me? Why do I have this disappointment in God? I just don't understand why all of my dreams, wishes, and expectations can't be met the way I want them to. And that's when I feel disappointed. When my dreams, wishes, and expectations don't get fulfilled the way I want them to. I'll pray about something and it doesn't happen. I'll hope for something that doesn't happen. I'll hope that something doesn't happen and it does. And I get frustrated and I get disappointed. You know, I, I, it's, it's almost as if I had a, a giant lottery-sized signed blank check from God. I wish, I wish I had that kind of a check and I could just cash it whenever I needed it. Or a giant cosmic ATM card that I could just plug into an ATM and, and get whatever I needed. Or, or I could just rub a lamp and my God-sized genie would pop out and give me whatever I wanted. But see, that's not God. God is not a blank check. God is not an ATM card. God is not... A genie. It's not who he is. He's God. And no, God never fails. Never fails. Yet sometimes we do feel disappointment. We all feel that disappointment from time to time. We all feel disappointment when something doesn't go the way we think it should, when a prayer doesn't get answered, when someone gets sick, when we don't get that job, when we don't have that relationship, or when that relationship that we prayed about doesn't work out, or when your children are wandering away from their faith. We feel that disappointment. As though God let us down. But here's the thing is we're not alone in this feeling of disappointment. It's been going on for centuries. In fact, I want to talk about a story today from the book of John where some people were disappointed in Jesus. They felt like he let them down. They felt like he failed them. I've been going through a series on Sunday mornings uh, called Your Story, His Glory, and it's all about how God is able to take the circumstances and situations in our lives and he's able to turn them around and use them for good and use them for his glory. 
We started out in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, and we talked about how uh, God is able to uh, work everything out for good, and how the greatest good that he can work things out for is that we would look more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. For people who love God and do his will, God can work everything out for good in their lives. And that the greatest good, according to verse 29, is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That we would look more like Jesus. And the way that we look like Jesus is when we love other people, when we serve other people, and when we forgive other people. I think that's three of the best ways that we can look like Jesus. Because Jesus came to love the world. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him and repent from your sins, confess your faith and you get baptized, God washes away your sins and welcomes you into his family and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he makes you part of his family. So we need to love other people the way Jesus loved other people. We also need to serve people the way Jesus served people. He said that he came into the world uh, to... Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he died on the cross for our sins, he did just that. He served us in that way. And he served other people. We need to serve other people like Jesus did. Also, we need to forgive others. Because that's why Jesus came, was to bring forgiveness to the world. And that's what he did. And so to be like Jesus, we need to love, serve, and forgive other people just the way that he did. A couple weeks ago, we also looked at the life of Joseph for two weeks, and we talked about how Joseph uh, was abandoned by his brothers, and he was left in a cistern, uh, stuck in a cistern, uh, and, and his brothers were going to leave him to die. Instead, they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. And then last week, we talked about how he went into Egypt. And when he went into Egypt, he was thrown into prison. He was falsely accused and lied about by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. And there he was left and forgotten by the cupbearer and the baker until two years later when the cupbearer remembered who Joseph was and he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. And then he was put in charge, second in command over all of Egypt. And so that when uh, famine struck the land, Joseph was ready. And God prepared him for that situation. He prepared him to be used in that way. And what Joseph told his brothers when his brothers came to see him was that what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So God was able to take Joseph's terrible circumstances and terrible situations where he, which were not of his own doing. Joseph had those situations and circumstances turned around for good, and God knew what he was doing all along. Next week, we're going to talk about Moses and how Moses made a bad choice And yet God was able to work in spite of his bad choice, in spite of his bad decision, and still work things out for good. And then in two weeks, we'll talk about Jesus and how what seemed to be the greatest uh, wrong, greatest injustice, the, the worst circumstances, worst situations, his death, God was able to work that around and turn it out for the greatest good of all, the forgiveness of humankind. So that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Then we're going to start a series uh, in late February and into early March and up to Easter called The Journey, where we're going to look at the book of Exodus and Israel's journey through uh, the, uh, to the promised land and how it mirrors our own journey of faith. 
And then on Easter Sunday, uh, coming up April 16th, we're going to start a new series called Fake News. And we're going to look at some of the fake news that people believe about the Bible and about Jesus. And we're going to talk about the real news, the real good news about Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. But for today, I want to look at John chapter 11. And we're going to cover uh, the, uh, nearly the entire chapter in three big chunks uh, about Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now there were two Bethanies. Uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus was at the temple in Jerusalem, and he claimed to be God. Uh, in uh, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, meaning that Jesus was united. He was one with the Father of the same person, uh, the same essence, uh, the same person. Uh, Jesus and the Father were one. The Jews, the Jewish leaders, believed that he was committing blasphemy. In fact, in verse 33, uh, they picked up rocks to stone him. He says, we are not stoning you for any of these, the miracles that he had performed, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So Jesus was claiming to be God. They picked up stones. They were going to stone him. He, let, he manages to slip out of Jerusalem, and he goes beyond to the east of the Jordan River to a place called Bethany, a town beyond the Jordan. And now, Lazarus and Martha and Mary were from another town of Bethany that was only two miles outside of Jerusalem. And the town where Jesus went to, the Bethany he went to beyond the Jordan, was about a day's journey away. So Lazarus is sick. He's from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, verse 2, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. That word for love is the word agape. It's an unconditional love. It's a deep love that Jesus has for Lazarus. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the son's, God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That word again, agapao, agape. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Judea is the region of Israel where Jerusalem was. But Rabbi, they said, a short time while ago, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was the positive one. And so you've got Jesus and his disciples getting ready to head back to Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. But Lazarus has died. And one of the interesting things about this is that, like I said, it was a day's journey from Bethany to Bethany. And when Lazarus dies, his sisters uh, send a messenger to Jesus. We'll 
to tell him that uh, not only is he sick, well, they tell him that he's sick, but it was right after this messenger left that Lazarus died because it was about one day's journey from Bethany to Bethany. Jesus waits for two days in his Bethany, and then he takes another day's journey to get back to the Bethany where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were. So four days in total, and that's right about the time that Lazarus had died. Verse 17 says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, the Bethany of Mary and Martha. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. In the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there's something hidden in that passage, in that verse, in that sentence. When she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, there's something implied. And what she's saying is not just if you had been here, she's saying if you had been here and you weren't. There's disappointment there. Jesus failed her in her eyes. He failed her. Lord, we sent word for you. We sent a messenger to come get you, and you took your time. You waited. You delayed. You didn't come when we called you. The one you love is dead. You failed us. How could this happen? I thought you loved us. Sometimes we have that same attitude. God, you've, if you loved me, you would do this for me. God, if you loved me, you would take care of this for me. You take care of my family. Take care of my job situation. Take care of my relationship situation, my financial situation. Lord, if you loved me, you'd come through for me. That's not how God works all the time. God sees the big picture. He knows better than we do. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These sisters had been talking to each other. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept. It's one of the amazing things about Jesus. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that Lazarus had died. He delayed two days. He knew that he was going to go and raise him from the dead. And yet, surrounded by those who mourn, surrounded by those who are weeping, surrounded by those who are grieving, Jesus weeps with them. And so for you, in your situation today, in your circumstance, in your 
failed expectations, in your dreams, wishes, and expectations that have been unmet, in those things that are just causing you to mourn and grieve and weep and wail, in your silent tears and in your uh, loud wailing and weeping, Jesus weeps with you. He does not reject you. He does not despise you. No, he loves you. And he weeps with you. He mourns with you. He does not walk away from you. He does not abandon you. He does not forsake you. He does not leave you. No, Jesus is with you. And he is able to comfort you and raise your dead dreams, wishes, and expectations. That's what he did for Lazarus. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Of course he could. Verse 38 says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. They would dig a little trench in front of the cave and they would roll a stone disc in front of it in order to keep out robbers and wild animals from getting the dead bodies. And they would put this uh, stone disc in front of the cave to keep the odor from coming out. One of the things that we learned, we have a Bible study on Wednesday night called Jesus Prom. And one of the things that we learned this week was that when they wrapped a dead body, they would pack it with spices, 75 pounds of spices and perfumes uh, in order to uh, keep the odor from overpowering you as the body decomposed. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, and this is the springtime of the year uh, near Jerusalem, and it's hot, and it's, uh, it's not cold at all, and, and bodies decompose. I know that when I will be preparing chicken, and I, I throw some, some chickens in, in the uh, garbage, in the trash, some leftovers or whatever, I throw it in the trash, raw chicken. After about two days, it really starts to stink. I can't imagine what a body smelled like four days in the Palestinian sun uh, in the springtime of the year. Jesus said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This whole story is about inspiring faith in Jesus. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In that same Bible study we did last week, one of the things that John Weiss said in the study, he's the leader of the study, one of the things he said was that if Jesus had not been specific when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, that every single dead person would have walked out of the tombs That is the power of Jesus. That is the power of his voice, the power of his command over death. And he can raise the dead. But not just raise the dead, he can raise your dead dreams and wishes and expectations. You may have given up on God. You may have given up on your faith. You may have walked away and said, nope, not for me. God didn't come through for me when I needed him to. God didn't come through for me when I needed him to heal my loved one. God didn't come through with me for me when I needed that job. And maybe you're dealing with disappointment with God. Maybe you feel like God has failed you, but I promise you this, God never fails. He never fails. And your dreams and wishes and expectations may seem like they have fallen on deaf ears. But God knows. 
and he hears and he listens and he is able to resurrect because Jesus is the resurrection. And I'm not telling you that you're going to be healed in this life, but I know that there's a healing that is coming after the resurrection. I'm not telling you that you're going to be rich in this life because there's no guarantee of riches or wealth or fame, but you will be rewarded in the next life after the resurrection. There is resurrection coming because that is who Jesus is. Jesus is the resurrection. And when we put our trust in Jesus, he gives us new dreams, new expectations, and new wishes. And he gives us resurrection because he is the resurrection. He raises dead dreams. He raises dead wishes. He raises dead expectations. And he raises disappointments from the dead. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm so disappointed. I I thought for sure that I'd have a baby by now. And it hasn't happened yet. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on faith. Don't stop believing. You may think to yourself, well, I thought I'd have a, a better job by now. I thought I'd have a career by now. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on faith. Don't stop believing. You may think to yourself, well, I I thought for sure, I thought for sure that I'd meet the one by now. And yet you're still single and you feel alone, but you are not alone. Don't give up on God. Don't stop believing. Don't walk away. You may think to yourself, "I, I thought I'd be in a better financial position. I thought my retirement would be better than what it is right now. Don't give up on God. Don't stop believing The dreams, wishes, and expectations that you have may have been dashed. They may may be unfulfilled yet. But there's always hope. You can always believe. You can always trust. For the God who loves you and cares for you and sent his son to die for you is in the business of resurrection. And so while you may feel like your dreams are dead and your wishes are dead and your expectations are dead, With Jesus, there's resurrection because he is the resurrection and he gives hope beyond the grave and he gives hope in this life and he gives hope and life to dead dreams, wishes, and expectations. So don't give up on God. Don't stop believing. With apologies to journey, you may be just a small town girl living in a lonely world. You may be just a small town boy from born and raised in South Detroit, but don't stop believing don't give up on your faith don't walk away from god don't walk away from jesus you may feel that disappointment but god has not failed god doesn't fail just because he doesn't come through and he's not held hostage by the dreams expectations and wishes that we have sometimes we have to adjust those dreams wishes and expectations and bend them to his will And God's will is perfect. And he knows what he's doing. He's putting your life together and he's putting the picture and the puzzle together just the way it's supposed to go. So don't give up on faith. Don't stop believing. Don't give up on God. Don't walk away. Because God is able to take your dreams, wishes, and expectations that you feel like they have died. And he is able to turn them around and work them out for good. And he is able to give life and resurrection to your dreams, 
life and resurrection to your wishes, life and resurrection to your expectations. He will never fail you. And that's how he can take your story and use it for his glory. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are hearing this message. They may have disappointments in their life. They may have pain and heartache. They may have prayed and prayed and prayed, and yet the answer didn't come that they were expecting. The dreams that they had of answered prayers may not have been answered the way they wanted them to be. Their dreams may be dashed in disappointment. I pray today for those folks who are hurting, who feel like there's been failure. They may feel like they're a failure, like they did something wrong. Father, I pray for those folks today who need your healing touch of resurrection, that you would give life to their dreams, to their expectations, to their wishes, that they would have resolve, that they would not be uh, hindered, that they would have strength, that, Father, you would give them life and resurrection through the power of Jesus Christ, your Son. I thank you for the story of Lazarus, how Jesus raised him from the dead, and I pray that he would raise those dead dreams and wishes and expectations that we feel have died, that he would raise them up in hope in us. We praise you, O Father, for being able to use our stories for your glory. And may you bring glory to your name through our stories. In Jesus' name, amen.